Psalm 42. I've entitled this little lesson, Thirsting After God, Thirsting After God. As I mentioned last week, <clears throat> the Psalms are varied in their content and emphasis from historical to judgment to penitential, uh, all, all kinds of subjects. They're also beautiful in their use of similes or types, particularly in regard to God's creation, to teach a biblical doctrine or a principle. Now, of course, that should not surprise us because the wisdom of God, of the God of creation is revealed in what he has designed and made and speaks to us of his sovereign purposes and rule over all. We see in his creation the imprint of him. And so that should not be surprising that we see in him reminders of scripture and in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, as he does in the rest of scripture, they reveal the condescension and the mercy of our God by giving us these things in lessons from creation and other means to help us to understand them. After all, he who is infinite is amazingly speaking to us who are finite and uses object lessons to teach us principles by which we would, he would have us live in accordance with his holy will. He uses not high-sounding philosophical statements, but practical, applicable truths to teach us both the way of salvation and the way of holiness. Psalm 42 is one of these psalms that uses illustrations and types to help us deal with depression, with fear, or discouragement by pointing us to an unfettered trust in the living God. Now, on a side note, you should, it should be stated that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually two halves of a single psalm. Several early Hebrew manuscripts have them together as one psalm, and a quick review will show you that they have a common refrain found in Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11, and in 43, verse 5. And we'll look at that as we go through. So actually, the, the two psalms are part of a single lament, which has three parts, each of which concludes with the refrain, why are you cast down, O my soul? Okay, so it's really, and if you look at that, you notice that Psalm, in this particular portion of the Psalms, most, if not all of the Psalms in this particular portion have a heading, have, you know, written by so-and-so. But you look at Psalm 43, it has no heading. It has no reference to who wrote it. That's because it's a part, really, of Psalm 42. In a subtle way, this Psalm in Psalm 43 manifests the mercy and grace of God, and that this Psalm, is attributed to the sons of Korah. Although Calvin suggests that it probably was David was the true author and that he gave the psalm to the Korathites. But if you remember, Korah was a Levite who rebelled against Moses and Aaron and suffered divine judgment in Numbers chapter 16. However, not all of Korah's sons shared his fate. In fact, in Numbers chapter 26, we're told specifically that some were spared. And under King David, their descendants became leaders in the psalm singing in the house of our God. We see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 32 through 37. So we can see the mercy of God that though their ancestor was a rebel against God and eventually was judged for it, yet God in his mercy didn't cast his judgment upon all generations, but rather in generations to come, those men grew up to be men of God who served in the temple and led the singing of praises to God. So this psalm, whether it was written specifically by David or was uh, by the Korathites, is a psalm that is a picture of lament. The reason that Calvin thinks it's David because it pretty much describes his life on the run you know, when he was being persecuted by Saul. But in any case, let's read Psalm 42 from uh, first verse 1 all the way down to verse 11, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. <clears throat> psalm 42. 
As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep in the deep calls at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned, this is a psalm of lament, as you can see. The writer seems to be facing some great trial or depression of spirit that causes him to long after God's presence, to comfort him, and to assure him. It's a psalm that I'm sure many of us, as well as many of God's people throughout history, can relate to as we face trials and troubles that lead to depression and even discouragement. When faced with trials that lead us to cast doubts as to God's care for us, or when non-believers mock us because it would appear on the surface that God has abandoned us, as we see from the text here, and let's face it, even Satan may whisper in our ear, where is your God? You know, why are you going through these trials? Why hasn't God saved you? You know, that kind of language can come up, both from those who are non-believers who hate us and from Satan himself. Then we need, when that happens, though, we need to recall his promises as well as his past blessings and to renew our faith and to trust in him. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, flee to God with whatever is burdening your heart and go on your way rejoicing. Obviously, the picture is there. You go to God, you leave it in his hands, and you go on your way rejoicing. Flee to God with whatever is burdening your heart and go on your way rejoicing. And that's a good principle to live by. If we leave things in God's hands, we'll be less burdened by them if we, than trying to figure them all out ourselves or, or try and come up with a solution. Well, let's focus our attention here on verses 1 and 2 for just a moment. Let's read them again. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, as human beings, we all can know you can probably survive for a long time without food. Days even. Well, except the girls here. Half an hour, maybe. <laughs> but we can survive a long time without food. But when it comes to water, probably not. Okay, that's not the case. We need water to survive. And as a deer, uh, you can picture this in your mind. That's why I like this illustration. You can kind of picture in your mind, if you close your eyes and think of a deer that's running through the hills, a deer perhaps pursued by a predator, or traveling over rocky high ground on a hot summer day, he's very thirsty. He's looking for, longing for the cool, refreshing brook that probably runs through a valley. He's way up high. He's not near it. He's trying to avoid perhaps being caught. He's not casually interested in finding it. He's desperate, such as our psalmist here. He's desperate. He's not somewhat interested in seeking after God. 
He's desperate. He's spiritually panting after fellowship with God. He's wondering, when will he hear God's voice to comfort him for his troubled mind and soul? Ask yourself the question, have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a point where you're wondering, where's God? Why is he allowing me to endure this? Why doesn't he answer my prayer immediately? Maybe you've been troubled by some trial or depressed because your plans failed and it feels like God is far away from your cares. This is a psalm for just such occasions. In fact, you can kind of see as you read it, there's a roller coaster effect here where David's or the psalmist is, is seeking God, trusting in God, and then he asks the question, where are you? you know, why am I not getting a direct answer? And then he goes down, he, he goes a little bit more uh, with an exciting, I, I remember this, I remember this, this, message, this blessing in the past, and then he asks the question again, why are you cast down on my soul? So there's kind of an up and down feeling here. Uh, he's having a hard time getting a clear picture of what's uh, going to happen. This is a psalm that you can use to encourage you during those trials. Matthew Henry said this about Psalm 42. Matthew Henry, gracious desires are here strong and fervent. Gracious hopes and fears, joys and sorrows are here struggling, but the passion comes off a conqueror. Or we may take it for a conflict between sense and faith, sense objecting and faith answering. In the midst of difficulties, we would do best to look to God, not casually, but passionately, with faith and trust in his love and mercy. Instead of, where is God? We should copy David from Psalm 40. Remember, just a week or so ago, we did Psalm 40, verse 1. And he said in that psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. So instead of saying, where is God? Patience, wait for God, trust in him, depend on him. We should recall God's blessings, as the psalmist does here in verse 4. Remember when he says, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept pilgrim feast. He's remembering the blessings of being together with God's people, uh, looking to worship God in his house. His gathered bride in the church is rejoicing before him, and he remembers that. It brings encouragement to him. He remembers how that lifted him up when he was not, you know, in, in good shape. He was, he was discouraged. So <clears throat> we should follow his admonition here in verse 5, where he says what? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquiet within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You shall yet praise him for his answer to your prayers. It may take a while. It may not be as immediate as you want or even in the way you want. But if you trust God, if you rest in him, if you have hope in him, you will have an answer in good time. It may seem that God is chasing you beyond your strength, as it shows in verses 7 and 9. Deep calls on the deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. There's that picture of, of God almost chastening you beyond your ability to, to take it. Verse 9, I will say to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. God chastens in love, not in judgment. So if you're truly his, he will ultimately justify your hope in his mercy, and you will yet praise him, for he indeed is the help of your countenance and your God. The key here is what? It is to take your eyes off your feelings and your circumstances and to look to God. Trust in him with your whole heart and lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Trust is important here. Circumstances are not what we should be focusing on, but trust in the, in the promises of God and the mercy of God in the past instances in which he has heard your prayer 
and trust that he will hear them now. You know, actually, if you think about it, a trial is really a good thing if it causes you to what? Thirst after God. In John 7, verse 37, Jesus said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now that refers to the Holy Spirit. But that's a good, good admonition there. Come to Christ. If you're thirsting, come to him, and he will satisfy that thirst. In Isaiah chapter 44, in verse 3, God says, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. God will satisfy your needs and will bless you and bless generations after you. So we need to thirst for him now, beloved. We need to thirst for God. Long after a close fellowship with God, your God and Redeemer, and one day you will hear these words. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the waters of life freely. It's Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. So the admonition of this psalm, if you're faced with the similar trials or at least some difficulties, or you're not sure when, where, how is God to answer, the important thing is that you thirst after him, you trust in him, you depend on him, you look to him, you don't give up hope but you know that he is a gracious God. And if you're his, he'll never leave you or forsake you. He has promised that. Draw comfort from words like this, that when you, someone even encourages you or your mind begins to drift and saying, where is my God? Why isn't he here? No, look at the last words. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. May God bless your hearts and souls as you think upon those truths.